Chapter Five, Part Two of the Planet Strappers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Planet Strappers by Raymond Z. Gollum. Chapter Five, Part Two. They saw their first asteroid, a pitted mesoderm fragment of nickel iron from middle deep in the blasted planet. It was just drifting slightly before them, so they had achieved the correct orbital speed. They ion glided to the chunk and began to search clumsily for worthwhile metal. It was fantastic that somebody had been there before them, chiseling and sawing out a grayish material, of which there was a little left that made the needles of their radiation counters swing wildly. They got a few scraps of the stuff to put in the nets which they were towing. For luck, Ramos laughed. Without it, we'll never pay, J. John. "'Shut up. Big deal,' Nelson snapped. "'Okay, shut up it is,' Ramos answered. So they stayed silent until they couldn't stand that either. Everything was getting on their nerves. Their next asteroids were mere chips a foot long, core fragments of the planet, heavy metals that had sunk deep. No crust material of any normally formed world could ever show such wealth. It gleamed with a pale yellow shine and made Ramos's sunken eyes light up with an ancient fever until he remembered and until Nelson said, Not for the gold anymore, pal. Common out here. So it's almost worthless everywhere. Not much use as an industrial metal. But the osmium and uranium alloyed with it are something else. One hunk for each of our nets. Too bad there isn't more. The uranium was driving the radiation counters wild. Could we drag it if there was more? Ramos growled, with just sun power on these lousy shoulder ionics. Everything was going sour, even Ramos. After a long deceleration, they were afraid to draw any more power for propulsion from their weakened batteries. They needed the remaining current for the moisture reclaimers and the pumps of the air restorers a relatively much lighter but vital drain. The sunlight was weak way out here. Worse, the solar thermal couples to power the ionics were almost shot. They tried to fix them, succeeding a little, but using far more time than they had expected. Meanwhile, the changed positions of the various large asteroids, moving in their own individual orbits, lost them any definite idea of where the Kuzak's supply post was and the dizzying distance to Pallas, with only half-functioning ionics to get them there, fuddled them in their inexperience. Soon their big hope was that some reasonable asteroid hoppers would come within the few thousand-mile range of their weakened transmitters. Then they could call and be picked up. Mostly to keep themselves occupied, they hunted pay metal, taking only the very best that they could find to keep the towage mass down. Right from the start, they cut their food ration, a good thing, because one month went, and then two, as near as they could figure. Cripes, how much longer could they last? Often they actually encouraged their minds to create illusions. Frank would hold his body stiff and look at the stars. After a while, he would get the soothing impression that he was swimming on his back in a lake, and was looking up at the night sky. Mostly they were out of the regular radio channels, but sometimes, because of the movement of distant bub clusters that must be kept in touch, they heard music and news briefly again. 
they heard ominous reports from the ever more populous earth. Now it was about areas of ocean to become boundaried and to be farmed for food. Territorial disputes were now extending far beyond the land. Once more the weapons were being uncovered. Of course there were repercussions out here. Sirius Station was beaming pronouncements too, rattling the saber. Nelson and Ramos listened avidly because it was life, because it was contact with lost things, because it was not dead silence. Their own tribulations deepened. Cripes, but my feet stink, Ramos once laughed. They must be rotten. They're sore, and they itch something awful, and I can't scratch them, or change my socks even. The fungus, I guess, just old athlete's foot. The stuff is crawling up my legs, Nelson growled. They knew that the Cusacks, maybe two and two, Reynolds, Gimp, Story, must be trying to call them. They kept listening in their helmet phones. But this time Frank Nelson knew that he'd gotten himself a real haystack of enormity in which to double for a lost needle. The slender beams could comb it futilely and endlessly in hope of a fortunate accident. Only once they heard, Nelson, Ra! The beam swept on. It could have been Joe Kuzek's voice, but inevitably, somewhere, there had to be a giving-up point for the searchers. "'This is where I came in,' Nelson said bitterly. "'Damn these beam systems that are so delicate and important.' They did pick up the voices of scattered asteroid hoppers, talking cautiously back and forth to each other, far away. "'Got me pinpointed, Ed. Coming in almost empty this trip. Not like the last.' Stake me to a run into Palestine. Most of such voices sounded regular, friendly. Once they heard wild laughter and what could have been a woman's scream. But it could have been other things, too. On another occasion, they almost believed that they had their rescue made. Even their worn-out direction and distance finders could place the ten or so voices as originating not much over a hundred miles away. But they checked their trembling enthusiasm just in time. That was the sheerest luck. The curses and the savage, frightened snarls were all wrong. If we don't catch us somebody soon... Out here, the needs could get truly primitive. Oxygen, water, food, repair parts for vital equipment. Cannibalism and blood-drinking could also be part of blunt necessity. Nelson and Ramos were fortunate. Twenty miles off was a haze against the stars, a cluster of small mesoderm fragments drawing power for their shoulder ionics from their almost spent nuclear batteries, they glided toward the cluster and got into its mist, doubling themselves up to look as much like the other chunks as possible. They were like hiding rats for hours, until long after the distant specks moved past. While he waited, Frank Nelson's mind fumbled back to the lost phantom of Jarviston, Minnesota again. To a man named Jig Hollins, who had got married, stayed home. Yellow? Hell. Nelson imagined the comforts he might have had in the Space Force. He coaxed up a dream girl, blonde, dark, red-headed, with an awful wistfulness. He thought of Nance Cottis, the neighborhood kid. He fumbled at the edge of a vast, foggy vision, where the wonderlust and space-lust of a man and needs of the expanding race seemed to blend with his home-love and love-love and to become, impossibly, a balanced unit. Later, much later, he heard young green asteroid hoppers, 
yakking happily about girls and about how magnificent it was out here. Ha-ha, he heard Ramos mock. Yeah, Nelson said thickly. Lucky for them that they aren't near us, being careless with their beams that way. Frank Nelson sneered, despising these innocent novices, sure that he could have beaten and robbed them without compunction. That far he had come toward understanding the outlaws, the twisted men of the belt. Ramos and he seemed to go on for an indefinite period longer. In a sense, they toughened. But toward the last they seemed to blunder slowly in the mind shadows of their weakening body forces. They had a little food left, and water from the moisture reclaimers. At zero gravity, where physical exertion is light, men can get along on small quantities of food. The sweetish, starchy liquid that they could suck through a tube from the air restorers. It was a byproduct of the photosynthetic process, might even have sustained them for a considerable interval. But the steady weakening of their nuclear batteries was another matter. The pumps of their air restorers and moisture reclaimers were dependent on current. Gradually, the atmosphere they breathed was getting worse. But from reports they had read and TV programs they had seen long ago, they found themselves another faint hope and worked on it. With only solar power, derived through worn-out thermal-couple units, to feed their uncertain ionics, they could change course only very slowly now. Yet maybe they had used up their bad luck. At last they came to a surface fragment, a couple of a hundred yards long. They climbed over its edge. The thin sunshine hit dried soil, and something like corn stubble in rows. Ahead was a stone structure, half-flattened. Beside it, a fallen trunk showed its roots. Vegetation was charred black by the absolute dryness of space. There was a fragment of a road, a wall, a hillside. Here there must have been blue sky, thin frosty wind. The small Mars-sized planet had been far from the sun. Yet perhaps the greenhouse effect of a high percentage of carbon dioxide in its atmosphere and the radioactive heat of its interior had helped warm it. At least it had been warm enough to evolve life of the highest order, eons ago. Poof had gone the blue sky and this whole world all in a moment, the scattered pieces forming the asteroids. Accident? More likely it was a huge interplanetary missile from competing Mars. The Martians had died too, as surely, though less spectacularly. Radioactive poison, perhaps. Here there had been an instant of unimaginable concussion, of a swift passing flame. The drying out was soon ended. Then what was left had been preserved in a vacuum through sixty millions of years. Frank Nelson had glimpsed ancient Mars preserved on the moon. Now he glimpsed its opponent culture, about which more was generally known. It's real, Ramos grunted. Hoppers find surface fragments like this quite often. Nelson hardly cared about the archaeological aspects just then. Excitement and hope that became certainty enlivened his dulled brain. An energy source, he grated joyfully. The big answer to everything, out here. And it's always self-contained in their buildings. They pushed the collapsed and blackened thing with the slender bones aside. They crept into the flat, horizontal spaces of the dwelling. Much more like chinks than rooms that humans would inhabit. They shoved away soft, multicolored fabrics spun from glass wool, a metal case 
with graduated dials and a lens, baubles of gold and glinting minerals. In a recess in the masonry, ribboned with glazed copper strips that led to clear globes and curious household appliances, they found what they wanted. Six little oblong boxes bunched together. Their outsides were blue ceramic. Frank Nelson and Miguel Ramos began to work gingerly, though the gloves of their old Archer threes were insulated. Here, sixty million years of stopped time had made no difference to these nuclear batteries. That, because of the universal character of physical laws, almost had to be similar in principle to their own. They had almost known that it would make no difference. There had been no drain of power through the automatic safety switches. D.C. current, huh? Ramos said, breathing hard of the rotten air in his helmet. Yeah, gotta be, Frank answered quickly. Same as from a thermocouple. Voltage about 200. Lots of current, though. Hope these old ionics will take it. We can tap off lower if we have to. Here, I'll fix you first. Grab this end. They had a sweating two hours of rewiring to get done. With power available, they might even have found a way to distill and collect the water usually held in the form of frost, deep buried in the soil of any large surface fragment. They might have broken down some of the water electronically to provide themselves with more oxygen to breathe. But perhaps now such efforts were not necessary. When they switched in the new current, the pumps of their equipment worked better at once. The internal lights of their air restorers could be used again, augmenting the action of the pale sunshine on the photosynthetic process of the chlorophane. The air they breathed improved immediately. They tested the power on the shaky ionics and got a good thrust reaction. "'We can make it, I think,' Frank Nelson said, speaking low and quick, with the boldness of an enlivened body and brain." We'll shoot up out of the belt entirely, then move parallel to it, backwards, contrary to its orbital flow, that is. But, being outside of it, we won't chance getting splattered by any fragments. Probably avoid some slobs, too. We'll decelerate and cut back in near Palace. There'll be a way to find the Kuzak twins. Ramos chuckled recklessly. Let's not forget to pack these historical objects in our nets. "'especially that camera, or whatever it is. "'Money in the bank at last, boy.' "'But after they set out, it wasn't long before they knew "'that two people were following them. "'There was no place to hide, and a mocking voice came into their phones. "'Hey, Nelson, old Mex, wait up. "'I've been looking for you for over three months.' "'They tried first to ignore the hail. "'They tried to speed up, but their pursuers still had better propulsion. "'Nelson gritted his teeth he felt the certainty of disaster closing in. "'There's just two of them so far,' Ramos hissed. "'Maybe here's our chance, Frank, to really smear that rat.' Ramos's eyes had a battle light. "'All right, Tiflin, approach. These guns are lined up and loaded.' "'Ah, oh, is that friendship, Mex?' the renegade seemed to wheedle. But insolently he and his larger companion came on. "'Toss us your pistols,' Ramos commanded, as they drifted close, checking speed. Tiflin flashed a smirk that showed that his front teeth were missing. "'Honest, Mex, do you expect us to do that? Be cavalier. I haven't even got a pistol right now. Neither has Igor here. Come, look-see. Hi, Frankie.' "'Just stay there,' Nelson gruffed. 
Tiflin cocked his head inside the helmet of a brand-new Archer Six, in a burlesqued pose for inspection. He looked bad. His face had turned hard and lean. There were scars on it. The nervous, explosive-tempered kid, who couldn't have survived out here, had been burned out of him. For a second, Nelson almost thought that the change could be for the good. But it was naive to hope that that could happen. Glenn Tiflin had become passive, yielding, mocking, with an air of secret knowledge withheld. What did an attitude like that suggest? Treachery, or perhaps worse, a kind of poised and poisonous mental judo. Nelson looked at the other man who wore a tovey armor, tall, starvation lean, horse-faced, with a lugubrious, bumpkinish smile that almost had a whimsical appeal. Honest, I just picked up Igor, which ain't his real name, in the course of my travels, Tiflin offered lightly. He used to be a comic back in Eurasia. He got bored with life on Ceres, and sort of tumbled away. With his body stiff as a stick, Igor toppled forward, his mouth gapping in dismay. He turned completely over, his great boots kicking awkwardly. His angular elbows flapped like crow wings. He righted himself, looked astonished, then beautifully self-approving. He burped delicately, patted his chest plate, then sniffed in sad protest at the leveled pistols. Now Nelson and Ramos cast off the loaded nets they had been towing and closed in on this strange pair. Nelson did the searching while Ramos pointed the guns. "'Haven't even got my shiv any more, Frankie,' Tiflin remarked casually. "'Threw it at a guy named Fessler once, missed by an inch. Guess it's still going, round and round the sun, for millions of years. Longest knife-throw there ever was.' "'Fessler?' Frank snapped. "'Now we're getting places, you SOB. "'That funny character that robbed and dumped Ramos and me, I'll bet.' Probably with your help. You know him, huh? Knew for a while. Past tense, Tiflin chuckled wickedly. Nope, it wasn't me that stripped off his armor in space. He wasn't even around any more when you beauties got caught. They come and they go. But you were around, Tiflin. Maybe not. Maybe I was twenty million miles off. Like hell, Nelson gritted his teeth, grabbed Tiflin's shoulder, and swung his gloved fist as hard as he could against the thin layer of rubber and wire over Tiflin's stomach. He struck three times. "'Damn you,' Nelson snarled. "'I promised myself I'd get you good, Tiflin. Now tell us what else you and your friends are cooking for us. Or, by the big silence, you'll be a drifting, explosively decompressed mummy.' Frank Nelson didn't know till now, after exerting himself, how weak privations had made him. He felt dizzy. Tiflin's eyes had glazed slightly as he and Frank did a slow roll together. He gasped, but that insulting smirk came back. Haven't had your Wheaties lately, have you, Frank? Go ahead. Hit. Knock yourself out. You too, Mex. I've been slugged before, by big men, in shape. Could be I'm not cooking anything, except... I notice that you two have found yourselves some very interesting local objects of ancient history, worth a little money. Also, some good raw metal. Well, I suppose you want to get the load and yourselves to the famous twins, Art and Joe. That's easy, with luck. Though the region is a trifle disturbed right now, but I can tell you where they are. You won't have to fiddle around hunting. 
Here, hold these guns, Frank. Let me have a couple pokes at that slob, Ramos snapped. All right, all right. Who's asking you guys to believe me, Tiflin cut in. I'll beam the twins for you. Since I guess your transmitters won't reach, you can listen in and talk back through my set, okay? Let's see what happens, just for kicks, Ramos said softly. If you're calling some friends to come and get us or anything, Tiff, well, you've had it. They watched Tiflin spin and focus the antenna. Kuzak, 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 he said into his phone. Missing boys alive and coming to you. Mex and old guess which. Kicking and independent, but very hungry, I think. Put on the coffee pot, you storekeepers. Kuzak, Kuzak, Kuzak. Talk up, Frank and Miguel. Your voices will relay through my phone. Hi, Art and Joe, it's us, Ramos almost apologized. Yeah, we don't quite know yet what Tiflin is pulling, but here we are, if it's you we're talking to. There was the usual long wait as impulses bridged the light minutes. Then Art Kuzak's voice snarled guardedly. I hear you, Ram and Nell. Come in, if you can. Tiff, you garbage, some day. This is all, this is all. The message broke off. Tiflin smirked. Third quadrant of the belt, he said giving a position in space almost like latitude and longitude on Earth. About twenty minutes of the thirty-first degree. Three degrees above medium orbital plane, approximately two hundred hours from here. Can Igor and I leave you now, or do you want us to escort you in? We'll escort you, Ramos said. So it was, until near the end of a long ride, a cluster of bubs was in view in the near distance, and Ramos and Nelson could contact Art Kuzak themselves. "'We've got Tiflin and his Tovey pal with us, Art,' Frank Nelson said. "'They showed us the way, more or less, because we made them. "'But Tiff did give us the right position at the start. "'A favor, maybe. I don't know. "'And now he's saying, "'Be cavalier. It might be awkward for me to meet Art and Joe just at the present. "'Do you want to fix this character's wagon bad enough? "'Your customers could get mean, if he ever did them dirt.' "'Just one thing I've got against Tiflin,' Art snarled back. "'Every time I hear his voice, it means trouble. "'But I've never seen the crumb face to face since the moon hop. "'Okay, let's not spoil my stomach. "'Turn him loose. "'It can't make much difference. "'Or maybe I'm sentimental about the old bunch. "'He was our cracked, space-wild punk.' "'Thanks, Art,' Tiflin laughed. "'In a minute, he and his comic scarecrow pal who originated from the dark side of trouble, on Earth and out here, too, were fading against the stars. Nelson and Ramos, the long-lost, glided in past some grim hoppers. A bub and sweet air were around them once more. They shed their stinking Archer Threes. Hot showers, miraculous luxury, played over them. They rubbed disinfected salves into their fungus-ridden hides. Then there was a clean white table with plates, knives, forks. They had to treat their shrunken stomachs gently. Just a little of everything. Beer, steak, vegetables, fruit. Somewhere during the past, unmarked days, Frank Nelson had gotten to be twenty years old. Only twenty. Well, maybe this was his celebration. Ramos and he told their story very briefly. Little time was wasted on congratulations for survival, or talk of losses long past. The Cusacks looked leaner and tougher now, and there were plenty of present difficulties to worry them. 
Joe Cusack hurried out to argue with the miners at the raw metal receiving bins and at the store bubs. Art stayed to explain the present situation. Three big loads of supplies were shipped through to us from the moon, he growled. We did fine trading for metal. We sent J. John Reynolds his percentage, a fair fraction of his entire loan. We sent old Paul $5,000. But the fourth and fifth loads of trade stuff got pirated en route. When there's trouble on Earth, it comes out here, too. Ceres, colonized by our socialist Tovey friends of northern Eurasia, helps stir up the bums, who think up plenty of hell on their own. It's a force-out attempt aimed at us or at anybody who thinks our way. After two lost shipments and a lot of new installations here at the post, we're about broke again. Worse, we've got the asteroid hoppers expecting us to come through with pay for the new metal in their nets, and with stuff they need. Back home, some people used to raise hell about a trifle like a delayed letter. How about a spaceman's reaction, when what is delayed may be something to keep him alive? They could really get annoyed and kick this place apart. Art Kuzak blew air up past his pug nose and continued. Finance? Here we go again, Frank, he chuckled. Gimp Hines is helping us. After Mars, he came here without trouble. He's in Palestine now, trying to raise some fast cash and to rush supplies through from there, under Space Force Guard. You know he's got a head for commerce as well as science. But our post here perhaps isn't considered secure enough to back a loan anymore. Art grinned wirily at Nelson and Ramos. His hint was plain. He had seen the museum pieces that they had brought in. Should we, Frank? Ramos chuckled after a moment. Possibly. We've got some collateral art. Lots more valuable per unit mass than any raw metal, I should think. So you might want to work for us, Art inquired blandly. Not for, Nelson chuckled. We might say with. Okay, cuties, Art laughed. Joe Cusack had just come back into the dwelling and office bub. Don't let my twin sell you any rotten apples, fellas, he warned lightly. He might be expecting you to transport your collateral to Palestine. Naturally, anybody trying to strangle this post will be blocking the route. You might get robbed again, also murdered. Ramos's gaunt face still had its daring grin. Frank and I know that, he said. I'm past bragging, but we've had experience. Now we might be smart enough to get through. A few more days out there won't hurt. How about it, Frank? Ten hours sleep and breakfast, Frank said. Then a little camouflage material, new weapons, a pair of archers in condition. Got any left? Five in stock, Joe answered. Settled, then, Art asked. Here it is, Ramos answered, and Nelson nodded. It would have been rough going for them to try to sleep in beds. They had lost the habit. They slept inside their new archer fives. Afterwards, they painted their armor a dark gray, like chunks of mesoderm stone. They did likewise to the two bundles in which they wrapped their relics. They were as careful as possible to get away from the post without being observed, visually or by radar. But of course, you could never be sure. Huddled up to resemble stray fragments, they curved out of the belt, toward the pole star, north of its orbital plane. Moving in a parallel course, they proceeded towards Palestine. The only thing that would seem odd was that they were moving contrary to the general orbital rotation 
of most of the permanent bodies of the solar system. Of course, they and their bundles might have been stray meteors from deep in space. Four watchful, armored figures seemed to notice the peculiarity of their direction and to become suspicious. These figures seemed too wary for honesty as they approached. They got within twenty-five miles. Even without the memory that Tiflin might make guesses about what they meant to do, Nelson and Ramos would have taken no chances. They had to be brutal. Homing darts pierced armor. The four went to sleep. End of chapter 5, part 2